0: Uh, our two friends from Australia, thank you. Uh, 1-833-311-3232, although Elliot is skeptical about Steve.
1: Is he really Australian? That's what I'm wondering. And is his
0: name really Steve? <laughs> Let's get to the bottom of this journalist. Right now, it seems as if everyone is in a good mood. Welcome to Thirty Two Thoughts, the podcast. Jeff Merrick, alongside Elliot Friedman. Elliot, hockey is getting going again. We're going to talk about Australia here in a couple of seconds. The preseason is upon us. Ooh, line combinations. Everybody tweeting them out right now. Everyone is full of optimism and happiness. Saturday afternoon, walked into uh, pro hockey life. My buddy uh, Brooksy there is the manager. First thing he says is Coots is back, and yeah, we're all excited that Sean Couturier is back in the with the Philadelphia Flyers. Everybody's happy everywhere, right, Elliot? Everybody
1: is happy everywhere, except <laughs> I didn't even make it to puck drop of the exhibition season <laughs> to get my first angry what phone happened? call. <laughs>
0: okay, what happened?
1: I, at least I made it through the prospect games this year, Jeff. So obviously, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about Steven Stamkos' situation on Friday's pod, and... You know, Friday, I went golfing, actually, with Ron McLean and Joel Darling, uh, and I was horrible. It was probably my worst round of the year, which this person said I deserved. But I didn't realize, because I wasn't online really on Friday, that one of the particular comments I made in the Stamkos conversation went viral. So I wasn't aware of this until later. And at issue is a comment I made that the lightning wouldn't be crushed if Stamkos left. And this person called me and was very upset about that line. And, you know, I the one thing I'll say is I stand by everything I said in that conversation. The one thing I'll say is when I was referring to that, I was referring to the negotiation in 2016. That there were people who thought that at that time... Uh, there were there was there was just a general feeling around Stamkos that the Lightning weren't budging on that offer, and if he went, so be it. He, if he was going to take it, he was going to take it on their terms, and I fully believe that. I have kind of said that before, and nobody has ever disputed that to me. I think that what upset this person was that I made it sound like the Lightning feel that way now. And I had a few people listen to it and say, okay, I said, what did you think? Do you think I was referring to 2016, or do you think I was a little too nebulous? And I had several people say to me, no, it was part of the 2016 conversation. I understand exactly what you meant, but I did have a couple of people said to me, it was nebulous, which is one of my favorite words in the English language. So... You've already used it twice. You've used already it used, twice. used it twice. We know so it's a new, an, an, a new pet So let me just say, for anyone you. who was confused, I was referring to 2016 and not now. But other than that, I, mm. I, I feel everything else I said there, I, I stand by. The other interesting phone call I got about this, Jeff, and I thought this would really appeal to you, is we were talking about Stamkos okay. going public. And he said he found it interesting that Stamkos did that in the same week where players worked behind the scenes along with uh, Paul Bissonnette to have Mike Babcock removed as coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. And what he said to me, Hmm. and this is a team executive, he said that when he saw what Stamkos did, who's a quiet guy who doesn't say a lot, he wondered if we are moving into a new era of player empowerment here. And he said, look, it's only two things and it's, over a short period of time so you can't jump to any conclusions but he said that's what his organization was talking about our players about to become more vocal and we'll see where this hmm. goes
0: uh it's about to be three we're going to talk about yevgeny kuznetsov yes. here in a
1: couple of moments but
0: uh, i like you i do wonder if this will now be a trend where players do feel empowered um, to speak out more? No more just sort of you know head down and, and walk past the coach's office uh, or wa- walk past the, uh, the the general manager. Uh, I do wonder like that person who, who called you. I-, I do wonder if this will be more of a thing around the NHL. Um, How do you see, just as an aside, since you started us off here with Stamkos, because when we talked about this on the podcast, you know, a lot of people, specifically, I'm not sure what your either timeline or cell phone text messages looked like, uh, but mine were a lot of Stamkos to Toronto. Does Toronto have a shot? Do you think Stamkos would go to Toronto? And I just kept saying, pump the brakes. I can see Stamkos negotiating with Tampa all season long. Do you have a feeling or a sense of maybe how this plays itself out with uh, with one of the top teams in the NHL and their captain?
1: Look, I think I've used this line before. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Last time, Steven Stamkos and the Tampa Bay Lightning walked it down to days before July 1st. We were within mm-hmm. a week. I think it was four days. So that says to me that his first option is to stay. And I think by what, by him coming public the way he did, it reminds you his first option is to stay. And I think he will try to do that until that option is no longer there. That's the way I look at it.
0: Okay, to, uh, to some of the headlines around the NHL on the weekend, I do want to get to Australia. As I mentioned, I do want to get to Kuznetsov here in a couple of moments. But um, what a 12 months it's been for Michael and Lauer. He goes, <laughs> Elliot, last October 7th, from sitting with you and me as part of our, uh, our, our 2022 32 Thoughts tour, uh, he goes from that low point in his life to becoming the officially the owner of the Ottawa Senators all inside of 12 months. And man, was he ever charming on Friday. Your thoughts on Michael Landlauer, now the official new owner of the Ottawa Senators.
1: Well, I think I would have to look back at his appearance on our podcast in person in Hamilton as the turning point in his life I don't think there's Clearly. I don't think there is oh, yeah. any other way to look at this you know Van yeah. Lauer was going through some tough times you know he wasn't very successful we turned it around he appears yeah, with us yeah. and success so I think what this is proof if you want to have a successful year you have to come on the podcast yeah
0: well, Ryan's Ryan it's Smith in Salt Lake City is hoping it's that's science. true as well.
1: It's not even yeah, a debate. Clearly. It's this is proven. It is science. Yeah. You know, I, okay. I, I love the line about the inheritance. To my beautiful children, Matthew, Michael Jr., Alexi, thank you for allowing me to spend their inheritance to pursue my passion. <laughs> First of all, if you're a Seinfeld fan, there's an episode where George Costanza is complaining his parents are spending his inheritance, and I, I think we all know some people who've grown up in wealthy families and they make jokes that if their parents spend any money, they're spending their inheritances. So I I, I laughed at that line. I thought it That's was good. I thought it was really funny. Look, I thought he had I thought he made a great first impression. Um, you know the the one thing that kind of surprised me was everybody always talks about in your first uh your first press conference you know you you give people wins and 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 you don't say anything remotely controversial uh, to me the most interesting thing he did was when he talked about the building and he said the smart thing we're going to do right by the fans we want to hear what the fans have to say The thing is, like my dad used to be a developer. He's not anymore, he's retired from that business, but he hated dealing with politicians because he said that Hmm. they move at a different speed than you and you know you really have to scratch their back to get things done that you need to get done. And so there were times he'd be furious at them. Like I remember coming home from school one day and he was screaming at a politician on the phone. And my dad is not like that. And that that really stood out with me. But he always said the most frustrating thing was you have to play by their rules because they ultimately have the hammer. And, you know, Michael Anlauer came out and he said, you know, hey, we're going to do what's best for the fans. But he basically said, we're at the politician's mercy here. He kind of threw it in their, you know, in their court. He said, what we're going to do here is up to these guys. And I thought that was really interesting. He didn't make a big deal out of it, but he said it. So it says to me that there's still a lot of conversation that has to be done here. Um, You know, the other interesting thing is he really didn't clarify what's going to happen in the hockey department there's no Daniel Alfredson yet and I think there still has to be some work that's going to happen here with Steve Stales he's not on the Oilers website anymore but Ken Holland did say this week he's still a member of the organization so there's some things to work out here but generally he had all the right notes and The one thing about Ann Lauer is he's he's a quiet guy. He's a publicly friendly guy, and he is very friendly, but he's in it to win it. He's going to burn to win, and he's going to do what it takes to make that team a winner. People in Ottawa were ecstatic, and I completely understand why.
0: Couple of things there. One, uh, I think there were some angry developers having animated conversations with certain politicians in Ontario this week. So that tradition is still alive and well. Uh, in the province of Ontario, Elliot too. I think uh, that that was to your point. I really like he he really hit this one out of the park. He was you know, really charming and engaging. Uh, the inheritance line was great. The cleaning out the house that was a good one too. Closet was another great line too. And then you know we talked about last week coming in with good news stories. And I think we're still all wondering about Shane Pinto and how that one is going to get done Is now, you know, training camp has begun and here come the exhibition games and Ottawa's playing Toronto on Sunday afternoon, etc., Um, Is there any more movement there or is there anything new there with Shane Pinto in the sense?
1: Well, you know, there was a there was a report on the weekend from uh, Anthony DeMarco about what it would take that if they want to move Matthew Joseph It's gonna cost a a first-round pick or a similar style of prospect. I don't think he's necessarily wrong about that Um, You know the one thing I do think about Philly and we've talked about Philly a bit and Um, I think they've been going back and forth with Otto about Matthew Joseph for one thing I do think that Philly likes the player Uh, I do I've heard that Philly actually sees uh, a role and a use uh, for Joseph there that he can he can play for them so that's that's good news for both Joseph and the Senators. But Philly's, you know, the, as you know, Jeff, um, this is not a league of charity. This is a league of when you're drowning, they <laughs> don't throw you the life preserver, they throw oh, you yeah. the anvil. Oh, yeah. And I do think Philly had targeted a specific prospect. Um, I don't have it confirmed, so I, I'm not going to say it is, but I do think that, that Philly targeted a specific prospect. And Ottawa said no to that. And I think if the team is Philadelphia, like, that's what Philly has said. They said, look, if you want to do business here, the price is going to be high. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we'll see We'll see what Ottawa does. Um, you know, the other thing here with Pinto is, and I, like I said, I don't think Ottawa wants to trade them. I think they see a future of, I've said this a million times, I think they see a future of Stutzla, Norris, and, and Pinto. And with Norris hurting to start the year, even though they don't seem to be too concerned with this, like, it's another situation where I think it it drives home Pinto's value. You know, I think this, like the worst case scenario for Ottawa is they could put Joseph on waivers and they could send him to the minors if they had to. But the way I look at that, mm-hmm. I think they can pay Pinto just under 2.1. I'm still not sure if that's going to get it done here. Um, so, I mean, look, I, I think there's still work to do here. Oh, and Jeff also just back to the ownership group. You know, they're they named or they kind of figured out who the other members of the ownership group are. There was some really interesting yeah. names there. I mean, you you know, Rocco Tulio, yeah, a lot of a lot of yeah, his son there, yes. plays for uh, the Edmonton Oilers organization. Had a really tie had a really good year last year. Um, you know, he's wanted to be an NHL owner for a long time. But there's two other names there that are are particularly interesting to me. One of them is the Paletta family. We've talked about the Palettas before. They met with the NHL at some point in time and they wanted to put an NHL team in Burlington. And they own the land. They were gonna build their own arena and put a team there and they first arrived on the NHL scene I want to say about six seven years ago they met with the league and they talked about it now obviously that didn't happen but the fact that they're there said to me I could see them going the Ann Lauer route as in now they're in as a minority partner and eventually they become a full owner I, I was not surprised to see them there that will be a name to watch for years to come. The other one are the owners of Guelph, the Feldberg family. I think this gives me another yep. example of how much I have failed at life. Joel Feldberg, I think he's four years younger than me. I think he went to high school with my youngest sister and an author by the name of David Besmogus. And I think the three of them, my 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 sister and these two guys, they were, they were friends in high school and now he's he's 4 years younger than me and now he's the minority partner of an NHL team and look what I'm doing like absolutely nothing of value you're, yes, talking, to talking, you're talking to me nothing of value jeff nothing of value <laughs>
0: And they paid a pretty penny for the Gulf storm, by the way, of the uh, of the OHL. There's some Saginaw ownership here uh, as well. So there's a sort of strong OHL minority ownership background here uh, to all of it. To your original point about Rocco Tulio as well. He's the owner of the Oshawa Generals uh, of the Ontario Hockey League. And, And you're right. He's been in and around. Um, various NHL teams, and it's always been speculated that somewhere down the road uh, Tulio is going to be involved in some type of ownership capacity, so I don't think we should be surprised here. I do believe he was initially aligned with one of the other ownership groups and then jumped to Ann Lauer, at which point in the process that happened, that I don't know, but I think he was with originally another group and then left to join Ann Lauer. So that's the... A little update there. Want to remind everybody as well, coming up a little bit later on, Jeff Jackson, the CEO of the Edmonton Oilers. uh, You'll hear from him on the podcast uh, coming up in a little while here. Elliot and I were in Edmonton last week. That's an interesting conversation. The agent turned CEO, um, Jeff Jackson, coming up here in a little bit. Also, Luke Robitaille who's the president of the Los Angeles Kings. Elliot sat down with uh, with Robitaille in Australia, Melbourne specifically. You'll hear that conversation in a couple of moments. And speaking of Australia, we're fresh off the two games, the Los Angeles Kings and the Arizona Coyotes. And here's my question. Can you have a goal of the year in the second period of the first exhibition wow. game in Australia, Elliot? Logan Cooley for... Uh, we. we We submit Logan Cooley for your
1: consideration. That's the biggest win of the offseason for the Coyotes. And it might be the biggest win of the year for them, that they got Cooley to come out of school and join the team. Initially, the word at the draft was, he wouldn't be coming. And maybe yep. there, there was some talk that, you know, he would play all four years and then walk or ask for a trade. And obviously the reverse happened. You know, the one thing I remember, I remember talking to Bill Armstrong, the Coyote's GM, briefly about it and at the draft. And I said, look, this is the stuff we're hearing. And he said, don't jump to conclusions. We're going to work at this. And obviously it was a, it was a big win for him to get it done and the organization to get it done. I think this year, the Calder race is going to be incredible. It's going to take a lot to beat Bedard. You know, I, I think... By the way, how about Bedard the other day saying... Yeah, I, I just thought of something to tell you guys, but don't press me on it, because there's no depth to this answer about cooking for myself.
0: Yeah, how's the cooking going? Because you said your mom was instrumental, you know, early on in your career. So how are you doing it, solo, or? Yeah,
2: I just kind of FaceTime her, put her on the counter, and not know what to do. So um, she's uh, making it easy on me, but um, yeah, maybe try to be a lot more independent at some point. What do you cooking? What's your just whatever, like I haven't cooked that much. It was just kind of something to something to sit here, but veteran move. <laughs> <times. laughs> <laughs> <I just, laughs> I've done a couple times, some rice, chicken, couple
1: tacos. <laughs> I thought that was so good. Yep. I thought that was <laughs> thought that was really funny. Um, you know, between him and Fantilli and Cooley, I, I think this is going to be a. Fa- Hang on. Luke, Luke Hughes, Hughes. Yes. Uh Levi. I can't
0: name um, them all. I, you know, I don't know. Dave Eurat, Dave Jurach. I think it'll be Brant not- Clark. Brant Clark will probably be in that conversation. I know there's a lot of Toronto people that wonder about Matthew Nyes. Uh I don't know, man. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of, of really there's a lot of great names. rookies
1: out there. A lot of them. I think it's gonna be fascinating. You know, the, the one thing I the one thing I always say is like there's some I said this on the pod before. I remember when when Cooley got picked, I had someone say to me that guy should have gone first overall. like Cooley should have been the number one pick.
0: Hey, listen I want to, I want to be, really quickly I want to big up Jason Bukla from our group because he said from you know when the when the finalists were all being done, Bukla said he should be the number one pick. He was always Team Cooley. He said that privately. He said that publicly. I will defer to Jason Bukala on this
1: one. Well, I, you know, I th- and I don't disagree. Like, as like, you know me, I don't see the prospects a ton. I leave that to the experts, but I had a few people saying that. The one thing I really feel is I feel bad for the kid Slavkovsky, because I already see it, like, all over social uh, bust, 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 bust. Oh, I mean, stop, I know, stop, it, I mean like stop. everybody, like one of the, one of the real unfortunate things about life now in the digital age is that nobody's got any patience for anything. You know, the kid's 19 years old. He won't be 20 until March. There's still a lot of time here. And the thing I think about is in the least development camp in July, Ronnie Hervinen, who was yep. a second round pick in 2020, he got smoked. Like he got absolutely Nolan no, Nolan and, Dillingham with the uh, Sarnia sting. There, was, thing, there was this whole up. big debate yeah. about, you know, whether or not that hit is clean. Look, Dillingham's trying to make a name for himself and he's got to play his game. I don't have a problem with it. The thing that I I, I think everybody has to remember here is there is no league in the world, not the NBA, not soccer, not baseball, not... Well, nobody else plays American football aside from us, really, so that's it. But where the game is so different when you come to North America. And, like, Slavkovsky, I saw a guy last year who's never been hit as much as he was getting hit, who's now getting clobbered all the time because he hasn't had the opportunity somewhere... To navigate it. When I saw Hirvonen get hit, I said the exact same thing. Yeah. Here's a guy who's played in the Finnish elite league. He's not getting hunted like that. Now he's playing on a smaller North American ice, and he gets and for people who are going out to hit you sometimes, and he gets clocked. And the thing I think about Slikowski is once he gets used to that and understands how to adapt yeah. to it, he's going to be fine. He's playing for the right coach who's going to bring them along the right way. And I think before anybody starts proclaiming Slavkowski as a bust, just remember there's a learning curve that exists in the transition to North American hockey that does not exist in any other sport coming here. And once those guys figure it out, they're going to be just fine.
0: Yeah. You know, there's one person in hockey that I talk to on a regular basis and we talk last year a lot about Slavkovsky and he got caught, as you know, Elliot, we talked about it plenty here on the show, a number of different times. And whenever it happened, I would get the exact same text. The NHL is not a developmental Mm -hmm. league. There's nothing wrong with going back to junior. There's nothing wrong with playing in the American Hockey League. There's nothing wrong with, as a young player that's already been drafted, playing somewhere else before you come to the NHL because, as this person likes to remind me, the NHL is not a developmental league. There's nothing wrong. Like There would be nothing wrong with, you know, Sofkoski going to Laval or Shane Wright and, you know, going to Coachella Valley or whomever um, going to the American league or back to junior, this idea that if they get sent back or they don't make it to the NHL until they're 21, that somehow eh, he's a fraud, he's a bust, he's a phony wasted pick to me, boggles my yeah. mind, Elliot. It completely, it completely. I'm completely does. with you. Again, the NHL is not a developmental league. Um, what did you make of the uh, the Logan Cooley goal? Three to one, Coyotes dancing. Cooley
3: scores! What a goal by the youngster!
1: Oh, pfft. it was just—it was incredible. It was—it was incredible. So. This is how much of a loser I am. I, I stayed up to watch the game. <laughs> I was sitting on my couch down uh, in the, on yeah. the main floor of my house and I was watching the game and I, I saw the goal and I was like, Oh my goodness. And yeah. not long after, cause it was, you know, two in the morning I fell asleep and Steph woke me up in the same position at seven 30 in the morning sitting on my couch. <laughs> TV on, whatever yeah. was on SportsNet at the okay. time. Why did you okay. sleep we down all, here? We've all It was my choice It was, it it was my choice. the NHL's fault for scheduling a game in Australia. That's what I blamed. Yeah, blame them.
0: I'll I'll tell you what, like I, again, these are just two exhibition games, not to make too much of them or extrapolate too much from them. Maybe I'm just trying to will this to existence because I like the player, but JJ Mosier looks yeah. really good already.
1: <laughs> I think he that Central Division. Nice. It's going to be Dallas and Colorado at the top, Minnesota right right below them, I think, and then it's going to be yeah. Chicago at the bottom, even with Bedard, and then there are four teams there: St. Louis, Nashville, Arizona, Winnipeg. Could go either way. Okay, Yevgeny Kuznetsov.
0: So none of this should really be a surprise. You know, you've reported on things like trade requests and, you know, Washington trying to accommodate and, you know, what the future of Kuznetsov is going to be in Washington. Can they get him back? Do they need to move them? Do, do they need to move him? Is there a marketplace, etc.? So he recently told a property called Slippery Ice, which, by the way, is a great, great name for a property. Because um, Nestoff talks about a meeting with Brian McClellan, the uh, general manager of the Washington Capitals, about now former Washington coach, now New York Rangers coach Peter Laviolette. I'll read them to you. There were many moments there in the meeting. I say you brought a coach who almost didn't fit the style we had to rebuild such moments as it were, quote, you paid me this money for something, right? I say, for what I did well. And now he arrived, they tell me, listen, you don't need to do this. Throw the puck into the zone, run and screen the goalie. This is where everything went wrong in general because we should each have our own role. Everyone should fulfill the role and everyone will be in demand from this role. And when you carry a piano and then they say to you, no, no, let's play the piano today. And the person has never played the piano, and they say to him, come on, play. Okay, so essentially what Kuznetsov is saying is from his point of view, Peter Laviolette was not a fit either for the team or for him personally. Um, As the old saying goes, fiddlers fiddle and dancers dance, or cows don't make ham, or insert your own cliche here. In Kuznetsov's mind, he was asked to do something that he doesn't do, or sorry, expected to do something that he doesn't do. He does say that he is optimistic that Spencer Carberry, the new head coach, can get this all back on track. But your thoughts on, you know, in the spirit of, uh, we just talked about Steven Stamkos and, you know, previous, you know, Paul Bissonnette with Mike Babcock, in the spirit of players speaking their mind, your thoughts on this
1: one? Well, also, first of all, we should credit Russian Machine Never Breaks, which has done a lot of the the Google oh, yes. Google Translate with this. And but it's more than that, Jeff. There's several different comments there. It, not only that, but he he rips the players' association for not standing up for him when um, the NHL called him in over the videos of uh, drug usage. Um, He he says that Bill Daly wanted a 20-game suspension and the Players Association didn't offer defense for him when they promised him to. He also uh, laughs at one of his teammates, Alexander Alexeyev, for signing a multi-year extension with the Capitals when, you know, he said they're going to bring in other defensemen and you're going to get buried. And now there are a couple of other defensemen there. So Alexeyev is going to have to battle for a top six spot. They brought in Sandine, obviously, on the left side. And they brought in uh, Joel Edmondson on the left side. So he kind of, like, there were a whole bunch of uh, different things here. It wasn't just the comments about LaViolette. And, you know, first of all, I'll say this. I do not like ripping guys for being honest in interviews. We complain that hockey players are boring. If we're going to complain they're boring, we cannot rip them when they decide, okay, I'm dropping the veneer and I'm telling you all. I'm, I'm drinking the true serum and it's all coming out. And, you know, that obviously is what's happened here. And sometimes with this stuff, I always wonder, if, and players should know better now, is you go back to your home country, wherever it is, and you think nobody in North America is going to hear this. And that doesn't doesn't work that way anymore. There's <laughs> there's this thing called the internet, and there's cable lines at the bottom of the oceans. Like, these things go places. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, I'll, I'll say this. I don't think Washington is very happy at all. Um, I think that they don't like about Alexia, the comments about Alexiev. They don't think the comments about Laviolette needed to be made. You know, the, the, one, the one thing I'll say here is, is that if you are going to talk like this, you have to have a big year. Like Kuznetsov has to deliver right now he has to go out mm-hmm. and he has to have a massive season in 2018 when they won the Stanley Cup Ovechkin deserved the con Smythe but if you would have told me that Kuznetsov would have gotten it I would have had no problem with that he was the he was an elite player the you could argue the second best player on their team that year when they won the Stanley Cup in the playoffs he has to be that player now if you are going to talk like this, You have to deliver it. I think the other thing the Capitals feel here is that they don't like the fact he did this because he creates a firestorm or a controversy when they have tried to be supportive of him. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that's going to bother them about it too. Uh, But at the end of the day, I, I just think that Kuznetsov, he has to deliver now. If you're going to do this you have to come out and you have to have a massive, massive season.
0: But isn't, isn't this already on the list? Like you're Spencer Carberry, you're coming in, you're taking this position, you look at your roster and you say to yourself, one, cross your fingers that John Carlson stays healthy all season long. I don't think any team was hampered by one injury more so than the way that Washington was completely stung by the John Carlson injury last season. But two, yeah, I'll probably look at this and say, I need to get Kuznetsov back. I need to get Kuznetsov playing. Like it it seems as if, as much as you know, the team might be miffed about the whole thing, and some noses are out of joint. This is a huge, huge issue for Spencer Carberry. Like Ovechkin is going to be Ovechkin. Um, Backstrom, given where he's at and where his health is at, and we'll see. But one of the big goals here for Carberry has to be getting Kuznetsov back. And if you get Kuznetsov back, to your point to that level or close to the level he was at when the Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup. Holy smokes, we're talking about, we're probably talking about the Capitals being back in the playoff hunt.
1: You would think so. The other thing too is I was talking to a couple other teams is like Kuznetsov is very nebulous about what exactly happened with this trade request. Like he admits that there were conversations about it, but there's no clarity on you know where it was and where it stands. You know, the the thing here is that if he wants to be traded, this doesn't make it easier to trade him.
0: I think that, don't you think that ship is already, the trade ship has already
1: sailed though, Elliot? Yeah,
0: probably. It's been a couple of years of trying to move him.
1: But still, like I'm just saying, you know, you never know what happens. I, I think this makes it harder. And the other point that someone made to me was that, it's it's a really interesting debate about style of play right and that is that the style that laviolette wanted washington to play like one coach said to me there are good teams who play that
0: mhm and it's it listen it it is a it is a simpler style. It, a lot of it is predicated on defense. You remember when he took over Nashville? One of the first things that I heard was, this is really upsetting Pekka Rene. And I said, why? And this person told me that, well, with La Violette, his whole thing is like, we don't want shots to go on net. It's all shot suppression, defense, keep the pucks away from the net. And Pekka Rene was a goaltender that liked to feel the puck, needed to get a lot of shots early to get into the game. But with LaViolette's defensive structure, he wasn't getting that, and he didn't feel like he was getting into the game the same way he was with Barry
1: Trotz. That's an interesting one. That's an in, that's very interesting. I, I think more with Kuznetsov, though, I think it's about, like he's talking about he wants to carry the puck more, right? And the, and the best coaches, yes. what they do is they say, look, if you see a play and it's a legit play, go for it. But if you don't have a play don't get us into trouble at the other blue line. Because if you do, that's where the puck comes back the other way and it's bad for you. Now, Kuznetsov is a high-skilled guy, and when he's playing at his best, he can make plays that other people can't. But when he's not at his best, which unfortunately hasn't been a bit in the past couple of years, then it's trouble. And I think what some coaches will look at and say that is is he unwilling to play a style that can win in this league? And that is a gamble that some teams won't want to take. So I just wonder if he's made it even harder for himself to get traded. Like, I'll <laughs> say this, because Kuznetsov, I have loved dealing with him over the years. He is one of the most honest blunt guys i remember at the world cup of hockey before he signed his big extension he was talking about a a situation in the nhl where a contract talk was going badly between a player and the team and he said if that happened with me i would go right back home and i would play there and please understand this is 2016 this is not now but he said this is i go right back and i'd play there And, you know, the message got received loud and clear. He got a big deal and he was really honest and blunt about it. Um, it, It's just that the parameters have changed around him. He hasn't been as good as he could be. There's been a lot of controversy around him. I think the Capitals are really disappointed because they feel that they have tried to always support him. Like, like the the trade conversations didn't become public until years after they happened. So I don't think they liked this at all. Uh, But I think now, like I said, I I put myself in people's shoes. If I delivered this interview, I would know it's on me now to have a massive season. And I think that's what Mm -hmm. the end of the result is here. Kuznetsov has to have a big year.
0: Uh, speaking of people that are wonderful to deal with and interesting to deal with, and people you look forward to dealing with, do you have a thought on Jacob Voracek to Yager's club? I think it's team. fantastic as an assist as as an assistant coach, we should say he's not you know, playing. I,
1: I will I will miss Voracek as a talker, just a hilarious guy. Yep. And uh, you know what? I I think it's really good that all these retired players are finding ways to stay in hockey. You you know, Mm -hmm. the the one thing that I I hope here, why does Yager play? Yager plays because he's worried the team will go under if he doesn't play. I hope there is a a way to solve this. You know, I, I really do. I think that if there's anything Yager deserves from all of this, It is a way... Like, he loves hockey, and if he wants to play till he's 70, let him play till he's 70. But I really hope he's not playing in his 70s because he's worried the team won't survive. Like, there's got to be a way to solve this problem.
0: You know how I feel about all this. I'm not a big fan of the saying, as it relates to sports, anyhow, and for the purposes of this podcast, hockey, leave the stage while they're still clapping. I love the thought of the player that just refuses to stop playing Because he loves playing or she loves playing and just wants to continue to do so. I hope, like you, that that's a big part of Yager's motivation here. I understand save the franchise, keep it afloat, whatever I can do to keep this thing going and keep the lights on, I'm going to do it. But I I really do hope that the lion's share of this is Yager just loves playing hockey and wants to continue to do so and wants to stay in the game. That's why I've used this example before when Peter Forsberg was trying on every single boot in North America to try to make it work so we could get through an NHL season. And everyone talked about, how, oh, he's ruining the legacy and oh, it's got to stop and he's not in his prime. I don't care. I like the guy that's just refusing to quit until he's exhausted every last possible avenue. I really do hope that Yager is the same for each. Yeah. I really do. Okay. Before we go to break, I, want, I do want to mention a tragedy that happened over the weekend around the NHL. Uh, Nick Cordiles, uh passes away at the age of 29, a motorcycle accident early Saturday morning in Nashville, um, was the first player from Orange County uh, to play in Anaheim. The Ducks were founded in, and started in 1993. It took until 2012 to get someone from the area onto that team. So 28 years uh, it took for that to happen. Dallas Akins. Um, tweeted quite beautifully about how crushed he was um, at the at Nick's passing as well. First of all, our thoughts to his family and all of his friends, and we understand there are many. And you see the tributes online,
1: Elliot. That's our first thought. Dallas Akins had a beautiful one. Yeah,
0: just gorgeous uh, to the family and friends. Condolences uh, to the Cordila's family. There's there's one family that knew Nick quite well that I want to go out of my way to mention here and that is the coolest family, uh, Oren and Miles. Um, Oren's the father who we all know is, you know, former owner of the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, played hockey himself. He, uh, he coached his son, Miles and Nick in LA youth hockey uh, for a number of years. I think like five years, uh, he would have coached that team. Um, Miles coolest, uh, knew Nick well, grew up playing hockey with him. He's lost a close friend as well. And, uh the Cordillas family is certainly reeling from this, and, and all of our thoughts are there. I do want to mention Miles Coolis as well, uh, who's gone through a lot of tragedy in his young life as well. Um, he just lost his good friend Nick. Uh he also played with both Colby Cave and Matisse Kivlenics. He's lost three friends, all under the age of 30. And the Coolis family is really hurting right now as well just want to make special mention
1: of them That's beautiful, Jeff.
0: Welcome back to the podcast. Uh want to get to your thoughts on the Montana's thought line here. Montana's barbecue and bar, Canada's home for barbecue. Elliot, your line is Try the ribs and the deep fried pickles 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca 1-833-311-3232 the line again 1-833-311-3232 want to get to a couple of voicemails here from Australia um, Elliot but up first here is a couple of interesting questions Austin from Rhode Island submits this hey fellas Austin from Rhode Island here My question is, do you think we will ever see the NHL use the American Hockey League as sort of a test market for new rules that the league may want to implement in the future? Something along the lines of how minor league baseball has rules now that are being tested there for MLB's benefit to see if it may work in their game the next season. Love the pod. Great job, Elliot
1: and Jeff. This is the way it used
0: to be. Elliot, this was the way it used to be, specifically under Dave. Andrews. Yes,
1: and they did lots of things like overtime rules, thicker blue lines. Remember that one? Uh, hybrid, hybrid icing yes. was
0: it was a mandatory visors. Yes. Remember that one? That was American Hockey League. Um, they did the four on four, which led to the three on three in the overtime. NHL just went right to the three on three. But the, the um, there's a couple of things here. I had a conversation with someone uh, who works in the American league and this is not a shot at Scott Housen at all, but this person was saying, you know, I kind of wish we were sort of back in that we're a developmental league and we're here to experiment with ideas as well, not just players and officials and coaches, et cetera, that can graduate to the next level, but also ideas that can graduate to the next level. But you know what complicates a lot of it, Elliot, is if you make the American hockey league game, too different from the NHL game, it's hard to call guys up and have them join your roster when they're playing one style of game with one set of rules in one league, and then a different set of rules applies at the NHL level. That is one of the concerns. If it's too different at the American League level, when you call a guy up, how much of a change is that or how much of a shock is it when you're playing with something different? That's why i don't think he can get too goofy with the american league the goofier
1: the better i always say
0: no no no. you're totally right
1: You're, you're totally right
0: uh ryan in corona california i have a question about young drafted players that aren't ahl eligible which i heard plenty about lately because of shane wright my thought is if there's a player who's not eligible but is too good for junior and not quite ready for the nhl could their team loan them to a European league? My example would be as a Ducks fan, uh, Tristan Leno is not AHL eligible and the Ducks have an abundance of D prospects, that's true, and players at the moment, but he dominated junior last year and probably doesn't gain much going back to the queue. Could the Ducks loan him to Switzerland or another European pro league to help him develop against bigger and better competition? Thank you. Love listening. You know what takes precedent here, Elliot? What's that? The NHL-CHL agreement.
1: Well, it's also where you're drafted from, right? Because where you're drafted from Correct. sets the rules on where you can go. So that's yeah. a CHL player. They have rules on where he can go. So there's, there's not a lot of flexibility here. Not at all.
0: Right. The CHL-NHL document takes precedent on this one. Real quick, before we get to the two voicemails. Uh, From Chris and Tommy, my brother and I were watching the NFL and talking hockey this weekend, wanted to pitch a franchise tag system for the NHL. Each team can choose to franchise tag up to three players. These players are automatically given no trade, no move clauses and only half their salary counts against the cap. We think this would free up cap space league wide and bring back that middle class player making two to six million dollars. Who has to take haircuts or short term deals while the Matthews and McDavids justifiably get paid? The league wouldn't have to change their expected cap raise, but big market teams could pay out pocket to create artificial growth league wide with a slightly softer hard cap. Would love to hear your thoughts. That from Chris Chris and Tommy,
1: Tommy, you are preaching to the converted. I have advocated this since dinosaurs roamed the earth. In the Paleozoic era, while I was avoiding brontosauruses, I was saying the NHL needs either a luxury tax or a tag system that will help do this. A couple years ago, there was an agent, Kurt Overhart, who proposed the same thing. It's not going to happen because it's, quote-unquote, money outside the system. Bettman is against this. He fights it with all the, every fiber of his being. He doesn't agree with it. Unfortunately, he's got all the votes. I would love it. I think it's better. I think it creates a better system for fans and players and the sport. But I'm not the one at the top of the food chain, so I don't win this argument. I'm shocked that an
0: agent proposed something to bring <laughs> money outside the system into the system. I am yeah, stunned, Elliot, that <laughs> it a... would come up with that. All right, let's get to a, a, a couple of voicemails here. I just want to in, introduce this, I think you're on the same page, as a little bit of what the weekend flavor was around the NHL, where all eyes were on Melbourne. Hockey in Australia, you're gonna hear from Steve, but first let's hear from Connor.
2: G'day fellas, uh, Connor from Sydney here. Just flown down to Melbourne uh, and I'm currently walking over to Rod Laver Arena for the Yotes Open practice this morning. Uh, so that you guys could make it down here. So instead of that, I'm gonna give you my three wild predictions for the year So this year I've got Bedard with 78 to 82 points with at least 40 goals uh, Jay Woodcroft for the Jack Adams and a Oilers Devils final um, last year I had Boston missing playoffs uh, Demko for Vesna, and an Oilers Leafs final so Here's hoping we turn that energy around this year. Um, anyway, great job, Jeff and Elliot, and uh, good luck to New Amel, whoever that poor, poor person <laughs> is. Um, yeah, <laughs> thanks, fellas. Keep up the good work. Cheers.
0: <laughs> That's a great one. Hang on, pause before we get to Steve. That's a, great that is a, a lovely voicemail with some for some for some bold predictions. 78 to 82 points for Connor Bedard, including 40 goals. I know that he's skating with Taylor Hall and they're going to try to surround him with some quality players, but do they have enough around him so he gets 78 to 82 points, including 40 goals? I would love
1: to see it, but Elliot, count me as skeptical. I just laughed at the Demko one because I picked Demko to win the Vesna last year too. Uh, Stewie, God bless mm. his heart. He had he had Jack Campbell and I had Thatcher Demko and we predicted them both on the same show and they both went sideways. Uh, there's there's some great stuff there. Uh, I I got a great laugh out of it, and I'm glad the people in Australia are having a a, a great time. I'll tell you this. I, I'm I think Bedard's going to score. I, I do. I think he's going to score in this league right away.
0: Uh, I'm with you on Jay Woodcroft specifically because I want to hear the speech um, from one of the most thoughtful coaches if he wins the uh, the Jack Adams and Edmonton, New Jersey. I mean, New Jersey's right there with the next step. Uh, and Edmonton, as we all know, expectations are high, namely Stanley Cup or bust. Okay, another voicemail from Australia. Here is Steve on the Montana's Thought Line.
2: Hey, guys. Steve from sunny Australia calling. It's uh, Saturday the 23rd, and I just wanted to get on the pod and uh, go to bat for Australia.
1: There's been a lot of, uh, you know, bad takes on Twitter about the quality of ice in, in Victoria lately. I just want to say that, you know, it has been unseasonably hot here the last couple
2: of weeks. And I think if they tried to make this ice three weeks ago, it would have been totally fine. I play hockey in South Australia, uh, winter and summer and the ice is actually pretty good. So, um, uh, you know, just wanted to say we should all be happy hockey is here in Australia and uh, not bash the ice surface. Uh, by the way, Elliot, try the ribs. <laughs>
3: Oh,
0: the promo tag there. Okay. It's catching good. on. Steve going about for the for the ice. Well,
1: first of <laughs> all, he didn't sound as Australian as the last guy did. The last guy sounded more Australian, I have to say. I'm not saying that's Hang a faker.
0: On. Are we... Are we- are we playing the authenticity <laughs> card here with callers now? How Australian I, I'm artists? not saying he's a faker,
1: but the last guy sounded more Australian. Uh, yeah. Look, <laughs> I would say to Steve, don't worry about bad takes on Twitter. There are always going to be bad takes on Twitter. I tell the young kids now all the time, if you come into the business or you go on social media, that is the price that you pay, is that you're going to hear things that you hate, and the only way not to yeah. avoid things that you hate hate is to not go on it at all uh, I'm glad people there are having a great time I, I really am you'll, you'll hear Luke Robitaille talk about it in, in a few minutes you know unfortunately Luke was in a tough spa- a tough place so some of the audio got a bit tough and we had to cut down a bit of the interview but there's one point he makes in there that Jeff I completely agree with you cannot go there once and not go again it must be Australia now, yeah. the NHL has to make it so that Australia gets hockey a lot. And it's not an easy thing to do, but going once and not staying, yep. that's the loser's way.
0: The yeah, I couldn't agree more. Bill Daly, Deputy Commissioner of the NHL, has talked about that before. The one and dones have to be done. That it can't just be, you know, uh, flying quick, quick couple of games, uh, you know, (laughs) grab a bag of cash and we're gone. Like this has to be part of a long-term strategy. So that's something that's you know, on the table in the NHL. I, I agree with Robitaille on that wholeheartedly. You'll hear, as Elliot mentions, uh, from Robitaille here in a couple of moments. Uh, thanks to everybody who either emailed 32thoughts at sportsnet.ca or called in uh, our two friends from Australia. Thank you. Uh, 1-833-311-3232. Although
1: Elliot is skeptical about Steve. Are, is he really Australian? That's what I'm wondering.
0: And is his name really <laughs> Steve? Let's get to the bottom of this journalist. one 833 3232 The Montana's Thought Line. Montana's Barbecue and Bar. Canada's home for barbecue. Quick pause. We come back with Jeff Jackson, CEO of the Edmonton Oilers. Luke Robitaille, president of the LA Kings from Melbourne. Listen to the 32 thoughts podcast ad free on Amazon music included with prime. Welcome back to the program in a couple of moments. You'll hear from Jeff Jackson. He's the CEO of the Edmonton Oilers. You know, that was sort of a news flash that caught a lot of people by surprise. As I and you'll hear in the interview. The conversation to get him into that position was a little bit of a surprise as well. In the meantime, uh, this weekend, well, specifically Friday, Elliot had a chance to sit down and talk to Luke Robitaille. Now, we've talked to Robitaille before. I've gone over the history of him as a player, and you don't need me to run down the credentials on the ice or off the ice, for that matter, uh, for Luke Robitaille. But the Los Angeles Kings and Robitaille always interested in a challenge and doing something different, case in point. This past weekend, the Global Series kicks off with games in Melbourne at Rod Laver Arena between his Los Angeles Kings and the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, The interview is about seven or eight minutes long. Enjoy it. Luke Robitaille in conversation with Elliot Friedman. Hockey in Australia up for grabs as the topic. Enjoy.
1: So Luke, set the scene for us. What time is it in Australia as we tape this? And where are you?
4: Well, it's 7:20 a.m., and Stacia and I, my wife, were driving back. Uh, we spent uh, the last couple of nights uh, a little bit off grid. We uh, decided to take advantage of this trip, and uh, yeah, she uh, Stacia found an Airbnb, and it was actually a uh, like these pods, like up in the mountains, all alone, and we were kind of off grid and. It was pretty amazing. We could oversee the ocean, and as we got there, like, it's like a reserve, and there was, like, all these wild kangaroos just running around. It was, we were really overwhelmed. Wow, that sounds incredible. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, it was, I would think there was, like, about 100 of them just running everywhere. It was pretty amazing.
1: Now, are you allowed to have any interaction with them? Can you go near them? What, What are the rules? Well, there
4: was no one there, so we just kind of would stop. Station got out of her car, and she got pretty Continuous close and uh, took some pictures, but uh, we, we were careful because we don't know. But yes. they were just looking at us like, you know, when you're – they're just, like, looking at you, and then they just stop hopping around and hopping away
1: from you a little bit gently. It was pretty wild. That's pretty – did you see any other, like, wildlife or anything like that? As we were driving in – we were looking
4: up the, up the trees, and we saw four koala bears, one with a baby just hanging in a tree. That wow. was pretty amazing, too.
1: Now, do you, do you guys have an Instagram? Are all these pictures going to be seen everywhere? Uh, yeah. Where,
4: okay. I think Station's going to be posting them on her Instagram, yeah.
1: Okay, what's Stacia's uh, Instagram but, account?
4: What's your Instagram account, honey? Station robitaille it's pretty easy
1: oh yeah hopefully we're going to get you a few more followers hopefully no crazy ones but we'll get, i want to see these pictures elliot
4: will, okay elliot wants to see your pictures honey <laughs>
1: luke kind of take us back to the beginning how did it start and the kings and the coyotes in australia because we all knew it was supposed to be the bruins initially but you guys were always there how was this proposed to you and why was it important for the kings to go
4: well i think the the first thing is uh we're doing construction at crypto.com arena for us (laughs) Mm-hmm. So we knew we had to, uh, to get out early during training camp, not be home. So we told the league that uh, we'd be willing to uh, do an overseas trip. And then when Australia came about, uh, we thought it would be a great experience. And at the same time, uh, having the opportunity to kind of expand our brand here, especially being on the West Coast. And we know, I think they, they broadcast two games a week now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just jump at the opportunity.
1: Now, one of the things I heard was you went to China, the Kings did in 2017. You played uh, Vancouver there. And one of the things I heard at that time, Luke, was that some of the players felt there was kind of not enough activation. They weren't doing a lot. They were in their hotel rooms a lot, aside from when they played. And I've heard that one of the lessons the NHL learned from that is you have to activate the players more. Have you seen a difference of that in this particular trip?
4: Yeah, there's been a big, big difference. Uh, I would say every day we've had something where players were involved. We, we obviously trying to share amongst each player, but uh, you know, guys were on the different sports station. Uh, they were involved with the government. Uh, They've been going around town uh, doing different events. We were like at a store where they had like a, a bunch of new merch with the NHL and so forth. So there's definitely been a lot more activation. I think what made it hard last time in China is we played in two different cities. In half a mile. Yes, and, yes. Um, and, and when you do that, it's hard because then it was traveling in between and Shanghai between and, and Beijing is not that close. So I think it was still like a two and a half hour flight. Mm -hmm. On this time around, like, we're here in one city. We spend, like, six, seven, eight days, like, in one town. And I think that's the biggest difference.
1: And so what kinds of things do you think are going to be done here that when the Coyotes and Kings leave are going to make a difference for hockey in Australia and the interest in hockey in Australia? Well,
4: I think what's important is to go back. You know, you got to make sure you go back. Uh, make sure like uh, we emphasize the broadcasting, you know, if we can have some more games here, like, and, and, and at the same time you get involved with the the people over here. Like for us, there's a big exchange between uh, the LA tourism. We we're aware of it and in Australia, so they want to work and they want to keep working on promoting the game. Uh, we've had the opportunity to work with some teams, some big AFL team here that are interested in exchanging uh, whether it's a player performance or something to do with their jerseys and our jersey and so forth. We, we just got to make sure we don't want to just come in, play two games, leave and then and, and don't get involved again. I think the more important is continuity.
1: You know, Luke, one of the other things we're talking about now is the international calendar. Now, you played internationally three times. You won a silver medal at the World Juniors. You won a gold medal at the World Championships. You won a gold medal with the Canada Cup. Uh, You know, do you ever say, because I know the players really feel strongly about going back to the Olympics and going and having a World Cup. Do you ever, from a league perspective, say we have to be better with this?
4: Yes, always. I, like as an example, I, I'm a I was a big uh, believer that uh, if we're gonna do a World Cup, it should be in February. Mm-hmm. A- and the reason is like uh, when you're trying to do a World Cup in September, everyone everyone in Canada loves it and really enjoys watching it. But around the world, like it's really hard around the, the, their scheduling, especially even in the U.S., it's really hard. To, just say okay. We're going to do a walk-up in September and watch it. When you're competing with everybody else, but when you're in February, th- there's like a pocket there. There's a big hole, and I think if we build it over two, three tournaments, it doesn't happen overnight. You got to do it over three, four tournaments. I really believe this could be a big difference maker for hockey.
1: Are there any other countries, Luke, that you feel? the NHL should be going to like when you look at the, at the map, say we have to go here and we have to do the same things here that we're going to try to do in Australia.
4: Well, I love uh, years ago, we went to London and, and uh, we had a tremendous success. I'm not going to tell you London's a mecca of hockey, mm-hmm. but we ne- we never went back and I still do believe that it's important to go back because it is, kind of like the main cities like New York or Toronto those are the Mm -hmm. cities when you go you have success there you have to keep going and and, uh, I think the other leagues have gone there and they they keep going back and I I do think it's important if we have an opportunity in the future to go back there I think it it can make a big difference because it's like everyone in Europe seem to gather in in, uh, London
1: okay I have a couple other questions for you first of all you have been involved now on the business side of the game for quite some time. Ever since you retired, you always had that idea. What are the biggest changes you've seen, and what are the most important changes we need to see in hockey and the NHL? Oh, the most
4: important, uh, the biggest change we've seen is obviously uh, it's the business has grown tremendously. It's it's. Uh, two two and a half times the size it was even 15 years ago so it's it's a lot bigger there's a lot more around it um some of the biggest changes i think we need to do is uh a little bit more uh, like uh, of the same like as far as like what we're doing uh, tv wise things have changed tremendously and uh, I think uh, we're, we're on the right path uh, nationally in the U.S. And I know what you guys do in Canada is always like a great show. I think that probably the biggest thing coming up is going to be uh, the local broadcasting. Uh, no one seems to know exactly the route's going to It's going to go direct to consumer. Yeah, so we got to make sure that it's done, it's done right, you know, like in There's going to be a lot of a lot of work behind the scenes to make sure that uh, in the next five to seven years, this is done right, that hockey is accessible for anyone that wants to watch it.
1: I hear players say that they're worried about MLS, MLS catching and passing the NHL. Do you worry about that at all?
4: Uh, I don't worry about it. I always think of what what can we do to make to keep growing what we're mm-hmm. doing. And uh, you know, I, you don't look in the mirror. You you, you look in the front to who you can catch instead. And uh, I think it's it's up to us to to make a difference and to keep promoting the game and keep keep doing things a little bit out of uh, the ordinary. I mean. You look at what vegas has done even yes. part of their game entertainment so different that everybody wants to see it now you know teams are all going to build their own uh you know their own type of game entertainment and so forth but they definitely push the boundaries and it's gonna it's gonna force everyone else to get better and i think from that standpoint little things i get is the way you get better as a league
0: CEO of the Edmonton Oilers, Jeff Jackson. When did that title first enter your universe as a as a possibility? I mean, you had a you ran your own agency. You were part of Wasserman. Impressive client list. At what part in your life did you start thinking about something like
3: this? Well, I've, I've said before I wasn't thinking about it. To be honest, I was really uh, happy doing what I was doing at the agency. I had a great group of colleagues. Like you said, I had a very uh, good client list that I loved working with um, was learning a lot at Wasserman as a as a general agency with lots of different sports and mm-hmm. colleagues and other sports and and uh, someone like Casey Wasserman leading it. So I wasn't looking to move and this uh, opportunity sort of came out of nowhere. Uh, probably two, three weeks before the draft, and I've said this before, I, I had uh, initial discussion with, with Daryl Cates, and, and then I said, I've got to park this, because i got lots going on in the agent business through the draft, free agency, uh, but I'm willing to think about it, and we can chat You know, when all that's done. So that's sort of mid-July is when I got everything done, and, and mm-hmm. then we move forward from there. How's it been so far? It's been great. I mean, it's it's. I was just telling Sam Gandhi, it's a totally different uh, gig than being an agent. Which is, when you're an agent, you're on your own a lot. Uh, you do things at your own pace. You you know, you're working on contract um, negotiations and research, or you're just on the phone. Mm-hmm. With this, it's like my calendar's full every day with meetings, and yep. uh, so there's been a bit of an adjustment, but it's it's been great. So the team would seem to kind of
1: run itself, you've got experience management, you've got two of the best players in the game, you know there's a chance you could win a Stanley Cup this year. So I'm wondering, we're taping this on September 19th at 9 in the morning, uh, Edmonton time. What is the number one item on the CEO's agenda? Like, What is your big thing that you have to do right now?
3: Uh, an interview with you two guys. Yeah, I
1: know that's a lie. <laughs> I could see yeah, your mind huge. turning as you were as you were listening <laughs> to that question.
3: Um, I think that the the teams in a, you're right. The team's in a great spot. Um, we're we're going to be competitive. We got two of the best players in the league and a lot of really uh, great other players who are going to um, contribute tons. And I don't have to do anything with that. Like Kenny Holland, Hall of Fame GM. He's put this team in a good spot. The culture's great. I think that because of COVID and some other things, there's some organizational things that we have to work on. And that's what I'm going to work on. Like player development, scouting, we're all, all of the stuff that's sort of simmering below the surface that keeps an organization having longevity in success and some of that um, needs work, and so pretty much every day, that's what I'm, I'm working on. I'm looking at different opportunities to bring in sports science and things like that. So it's sort of a daily thing where I, all of those elements, i gotta, I got to bring them together. So you, when you say needs work, what do you want to do here? Like, what's your goal? I would like to have this organization um, be competitive for the Stanley Cup for the next 10 years, minimum. And you can do that if you do it the right way. We got two of the best players. We got a lot of young guys um, who are in the prime of their career or coming into it. Um, We got to start to draft really well and then develop the players. So I think one thing here is the organization has has done a good job, but we can be better. And my goal is to to be better incrementally in everything. And that'll give us an opportunity to to compete every year. So what are you going to be adding? We're gonna, we're gonna look at sports science as a real tool to help us with injury prevention and recovery. Um, we're gonna look at um, player development is a key thing for me. Like we, we spent a lot of time at the agency recognizing that if you're gonna recruit kids young and then take them through their draft year at 18, you got to prepare them the best you can ahead of time, you know, when they're 14, 15, 16. Well, it's similar with us. When we draft a kid at 18, we need to, we need to know their development arc. And then we have to like, really like dig in day one after the draft and get them with, you know, individual player development plans so that they can become the best player that they can be before they get to the American league. Like the days of waiting till a kid gets to the American league to develop them are gone. And we have to do a better job of like day one after they're an Edmonton oiler um, is help them, you know, give them the tools um, to succeed. Sorry, Jeff, I, I don't mean to
1: completely monopolize this. It's, I'm interested in what you say there because I have heard that from agents before is that NHL teams don't have a handle on these kids till they're 18, 19, 20 years old. So if we're going to turn them in the best players possible, it's not up to their junior teams or their minor hockey teams or to develop them. It's up to us to develop
3: them. So what did you see as an agent that you can bring to the Oilers? I, I think I said this in my uh, media availability the day that, 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 that I was announced as the CEO, that you get a chance to see... Th- 32 organizations and you get to see teams that do it really well and some teams that you think they could do a, a better job and you sort of like take the nuggets of goodness and you put them together that's that's what I would see and I had a, I had the pleasure and the like privilege of working with Dave Garnier very closely for years who was he was a director of player development for Vancouver he's a very progressive thinker he you know he's coached he coached Sam and John Tavares when they were kids, then he went on to London Then you know, obviously he had a playing career that was Mm -hmm. long and his son, Sam's going into his 17th season. So he was amazing at player development and him and I would talk a lot about it. He would sort of run it, but, you know, we would identify not only the weaknesses in players, but their strengths and build on those, but then... Dave's big thing was we need to like give them the skills to actually like implementing games like stick handling through cones and everything is fine, but how does it apply to a game so that was dave's big push and and we saw we saw a tremendous uh results with kids like Jordan Cairo and and Evan Bouchard here. And, you know, they worked with Dave early on when he was 14, 15, 16, and just improved so much. Which
1: teams are terrible. Who will you not be copying?
3: (laughs) I can't tell you that.
0: (laughs) I knew you were going to ask that. (laughs) Um, When you talk about being incrementally better at every single level, I do have a couple of questions about Connor McDavid. How much better
3: can this guy still be? I don't know. I mean, it's, sort of crazy that he gets better every year but um, having worked closely with him for all those years like he, he's always looking for just little things to improve on and when he went through the bad knee injury a few years ago part of his rehab he integrated things like Pilates and aldoa stretching and things like that which yeah. people know what's Aldoa stretching well it's you know elongation of your muscles and it gives you flexibility and it helps with injury prevention. So Connor's always working on on ice stuff, but he's also looking at giving him his body like every opportunity for maximum recovery and and rest and all those sorts of things. So I don't know, I mean, he always amazes me and Mm -hmm. he just wants to continue to get better. So I I don't don't think he's gonna stop. Okay, one more question about Connor McDavid. Take us back to
0: the Jeff Jackson who started his own agency, would have had Sam Gagne and Ben Harper as the two key clients, and he was pursuing Connor McDavid in the uh, the Marley's in the GTHL. Take us through those days before he ended up getting them with Org Group and yeah. Wasserman, and now he was are. Yeah, no, those.
3: I was a fledgling agent. I had... Like you said, I had Sam Garney as a client and uh, Ben Harper and, and a kid named Justin Scott. And I, so I was just starting and I was by myself and I, did, I didn't i did know what I was doing. I mean, I had the hockey experience as a player and worked with the Leafs and the lawyer thing. But I, I didn't really realize what I was getting into in the agent business until I got into it. Um, but I was talking to Sam one day, and he said, "I was on the ice in Oakville, and this kid came on the ice today, and he's like a little, sh- little short kid. He's like twelve years old." Were you about old. to say little, a little shrimp? Oh, okay. <laughs> what did you think I was going to say? I was going something else. No, a little shrimp, and uh, he said, "Hey, Mister Gandhi, can I come on the ice with you?" So Sam said, "Sure." he Came on, and he was messing around with the puck, and they were doing some stuff together. And then Sam called me and said this kid's unreal. Like I've been in the league for five years and in the NHL. I can't do some of the stuff he's doing. Hmm. I think his name's David O'Connor. You should try to find out who his dad is and talk to him. He plays for the Marlies. I know that. So I yes, called said David O'Connor, David O'Connor. Yeah, David yeah, O'Connor. Yeah, yeah. So I called uh, Mike Sharaba. was running the Marlies then the organization. So I called Mike and he, I said, who's this david o'connor kid he he started laughing he goes no it's connor mcdavid he plays for the the bantam (laughs) team and he goes would you like me to connect you with brian so he he connected brian's the dad for all brian mcdavid the dad yeah so brian and i met for a coffee at a tim hortons near the airport and had a nice long chat and we talked a couple other times um I was trying to recruit him. I was by myself. I didn't have any infrastructure. Um, Brian said, "Listen, like you have your resume is great, but like I think my kids gonna need a little bit more than what mm-hmm. you're offering." And uh, so that was fine. He, they made a decision. They went with Orahockey, Hockey, and then I joined Orahockey Hockey a couple months later, basically uh, very fortuitously for me. Yeah, and uh, started working with Connor right away. And you know, we've been we worked together for since the time he was 15. So how did that
1: conversation go when you told him, I am switching from your loyal t- servant to
3: your <laughs> boss? <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't go like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually just, when, when Daryl reached out um, through Paul Coffee, we had several discussions, and after the second one, I called Connor and I said, listen, I, I, I got to tell you, I got to call. Daryl wanted to talk to me about this job I wanted to tell you about it I'm not sure what you know sort of get his input and uh, I said Daryl would like me to meet with him at some point he goes I think you should meet with him so Hmm. I said you sure he goes yeah like I think you'd be great at the job but then like who would be my agent and uh, I said well don't get ahead of yourself like this is sort of just very preliminary so um, he said just keep me in the loop and so I did I went and met with Daryl and we chatted and then I like I said earlier like I I went about my business um, sort of parked that did what I had to do with my clients and then I re-engaged with Connor a little bit more I said I'm gonna talk to him a little bit more he goes okay cool and uh, when I made the decision I went and met with him and Lauren at their house and I I told him what I wanted to do and gave me a big hug said, let, 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 let's go, sort of thing. So, yeah. I mean, um, we sort of looked at it as like a unique opportunity to continue working together but in a different way. And it, it, for me, it's like I feel very fortunate that, you know, we can pursue uh, a Stanley Cup together on the same team. Um, very similar to being like having the agent relationship. It's just a little different now. Do you, do you think it – like you know what all the Oilers fans are thinking. Connor's staying because you're here. Is that fair or right? Like, what do you think when you hear that? I mean, everybody wants him to stay. Everybody wants Leon to stay. I mean, that's obvious. Um, I think that fans like assume it's a done deal. I think that the the thing that we have to do here is show those two guys and other players that we're going to be super competitive and be competing for a cup every year. Um, and if we do that, we have a really good opportunity to keep everybody here. Though. Leon and Connor are both um, obviously, like, I'm saying the obvious, but they're, like, pillars of this team, but they're pillars in the community. They're embedded in charitable stuff. They are they love Edmonton and their fans. Um, so as long as we're competing at the highest level, um, I'm optimistic that, that we're going to be able to keep everybody. Um, but it's not a done deal uh, just because I was his agent. I mean – they're free to make decisions on their own when they're free agents. Um, I'm going to try my best to avoid that. Eight times 96. Eight <laughs> times
1: 97. 90 Excuse times, me. not a lot. No. Eight, eight times 97.
0: <laughs> um, I'm not sure how much you cheered for teams when you were working agency side, but what does it feel like cheering for a team now?
3: I didn't really think about it until I was here a couple of weeks ago and sat with uh, Ken Holland and the coaches, they had some meetings and it really got me back to when I was working with the Leafs, spending time with the coaches and seeing how passionate they are and how much the time they put in. And uh, it, ju- it got my juices flowing again. okay. so, okay, now I'm with one group and I'm mm-hmm. going to be like living and breathing and sort of like the day to day. Cause uh, on the agent side, you do cheer for your p- clients and by extension their team but you're not emotionally like involved.
0: Yeah.
3: They lose, your guy gets a couple points, played well. It's like, "Oh, whatever." You know, but here I care about the result. So I think it'll be it'll be fun to be back into that sort of mindset again.
1: Last one for me, Jeff. I always <laughs> like when agents and as go to management or vice versa, management's go to agent, because every argument that you've used, you now have to do it in reverse, like you basically have to change sides, Yeah. Um, you know, just because you've done it, you've been management, you've been agent, now you're back to management. Like i got to remember what side I'm on. <laughs> yeah, I know, but like it must be funny, like it. Like I, I, I've talked about it with a couple of guys and they kind of laugh about it, it's just the nature of life, you yeah. switch teams, and but what's that like for you, like just knowing that. Your whole philosophy has to change in terms of the way you see things.
3: Yeah, I mean, I as an agent, I I I wasn't one of those uh, types of agents that was always trying to like kill for the biggest dollar. Like, I always wanted to do good deals for the guys, and and it was um, the way I negotiated was always um, getting to the number like quickly without a, like a lot of dawdling around about like high low and stuff like that. So for me, like being on this side, I I still feel like you've got to have a really good relationship with agents and there's going to be times where somebody's being unreasonable and you know, you got to dig in a little bit. But I think I've learned a lot on being on both sides and coming back here. And and in this job, I'm not going to be directly involved in the day to day negotiations of contracts. Um, I'm sure that I'll sit in meetings and, and have an opinion about things, but that's that's Ken Holland and, and Bill Scotts. role here, and they'll continue to do that, and I'll support them. <laughs> Last one here. Uh, what are
0: you going to miss? Now that you're no longer free time. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, um, I think probably like uh, there's a sort of an adjustment going on right now. Like I've had a in the agent business. Like I said, you have lots of um, you you control your own schedule. Um, when you're with the team, you've got NHL schedule, American League schedule. You got yeah. all kinds of different things you got to attend um sort of adjusting my family life with teenage boys who I've been around a lot um trying to be super careful that that doesn't change too much because it's been an important part of my life and when I worked for the Leafs back in 2006 to 2010 um I didn't really realize it but I was missing a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. um with sports and things and uh I'm just going to be cognizant of that that's the one thing that mm-hmm. i think well, is going to change because i mean i'm in edmonton a lot and my family's in burlington and i'm going to be back and forth but um that part of it i got to watch good luck this year and thanks, good luck rest with thanks guys thanks jeff
0: okay that's jeff jackson the ceo of the edmonton oilers previous to hearing from him you heard from luke robitaille in conversation with Elliot Friedman from Australia, uh, the site of the global series, the kickoff of the global series this year and games between the Los Angeles Kings and the Arizona coyotes. Okay. To wrap up the week ahead, is it all about the Ottawa senators and Shane Pinto and can they get this thing done? What do you have your eyeballs on and, you're finally actually getting back to work, Elliot. You have to comb your hair and drag a razor across your No, I don't, but face. they
1: we'll see what happens if I don't. It's, <laughs> it's Ottawa, uh, Toronto on Monday night, 7 o'clock Eastern. It's my, my first game of the year, another exhibition game. Um, you know, the one thing I always tell fans, first week of exhibition play, don't get too excited. The veterans don't care yet. You have to wait till the veterans care, and that's usually in the second week when they try to tune their way up to the season. There's also Anaheim, you know, Zegris and Drysdale. You know, yeah. Lavoie yeah. had a report uh, the other day that uh, they have There were between three and four million on Zegris, um i think when it was i heard at one point they were talking about a two-year deal and i do think that's true when they were talking about a two-year deal i i think it was in there now i think i've heard rumors they might be going three so i just don't know how the ducks can do three years and expect it to be under four million so i I think it's it's got to be a little bit higher than that but zegers and drysdale Mm -hmm. those ones were not in any good place the last i checked so we'll, we'll see if that's changed at all
0: uh, what Elliot said is wrong. Get ahead of yourselves. Believe <laughs> everything you see in Exhibition Hockey is legitimate and an accurate predictor of the future of the game, both immediate and long term. Uh, on behalf of everyone here, Merrick signing off. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this pod returns uh usual time. These are Monday drops you're listening to right now. The Friday drops continue. Yes, we are back, and so is hockey. Enjoy it. We'll talk to you again on Friday.